Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 294 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Noda, powered by M&T Bank. Noda is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnoda.com legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, Noda. Terms and conditions may apply. Next, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screen process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And with so many new podcasts, and I've seen a few more, announcing their very first podcast these days, as, as we on this podcast rapidly approach our 300th, we occasionally like to mention that 15 years and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. In our last episode, we discussed why it's a good time to take another hard look at document automation. In this episode, we wanted to give you a better sense of what is actually happening on the ground in legal tech as we reach the 18-month milestone in the pandemic. We thought there would be no better way to do that than to get the observations, insights, and perspectives of our friend and super fan of the podcast, Debbie Foster of Affinity Consulting. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking with super friend of the show, Debbie Foster, about what's happening in the real world of legal tech. In our second segment, we're going to take a look into the world of Salesforce and take its temperature, hot or not. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we are so thrilled to bring back as our guest, Debbie Foster of Affinity Consulting. I talk about constantly how I spend too long away from the world of legal tech, and I love it when Debbie can join us to talk about legal tech. Um, Debbie is doing so many things with lawyers and technology these days. Um, I thought about giving her an introduction, but I think that it would be incomplete. So, Debbie, for those few listeners out there who don't already know who you are, can you tell us who you are and what you're do what you're up to these days? Absolutely. Thanks, Tom and Dennis, for having me on the show again. It's one of my favorite things to do: be a guest on your podcast. I'm Debbie Foster with Affinity Consulting, like Tom said, and I work with law firms, lawyers, legal departments all over the country. And I like to say now that I really help them solve their biggest, ugliest, scariest challenges. Sometimes those are around technology. Sometimes those are around how people get their work done. Sometimes it's around the culture of their firm. But it's always really looking holistically at how they're doing all the things that they're doing and helping them come up with ways to maybe see things differently, change operationally, and help them best use the technology they have or help them choose technology, new technology that they need to get their work done in a better way. Well, we always love having you here. So I'm going to start with a big old softball question at the beginning, which is, 
How are things looking out there? What are things looking like in the firms and lawyers that you're working with these days? You know, it's been an interesting year and a half. And I was just talking to a colleague of mine saying that some days I feel like I have whiplash. I have all kinds of hope. And I think that, you know, law firms are out there doing amazing things. And then I get on a call with someone and I think, how have they gotten here? And all of the the scenarios that you can imagine in between. I think that, you know, we were all hoping that we would truly be on the other side of the craziness of COVID by now, but we're really not. And my experience with working with law firms all over the country, one of the things that has become really evident is kind of depends what state they're in as far as how are things looking right now and who's back to work and who's not back to work and who's trying to figure out what the new version of normal looks like, which I hate that phrase, and who's trying to pretend like they never did anything different than the way they've always done things. It's really, you know, really interesting. Some firms during this time have done amazing things and have really taken the opportunity to embrace this period of time that was completely unexpected, but the opportunity to really think about doing things differently And others have just been kind of standing on the sidelines, waiting until they can start doing it like they used to do it for all of those years again. So in some ways, there's a little bit, for me, there's a little bit of discouraging, you know, news to report. And in other ways, I am really optimistic about people really taking some time to think like, let's not just go back to the way we were doing things before. So it's a little bit of a mix. You know, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that from a slightly different perspective. So I, I've lately had the feeling there are kind of three worlds in, in law practice these days. So, And I think it does vary by regions of the country to, uh, and, and to a large extent. But one where people uh, seem to have never left the office, one where they've never gone back to the office, and, and something that's kind of a hybrid in between that. And so it's, it's almost, if we look at where we are right now, is, is that how you also see the, the landscape? And is that a fair assessment of how it's dividing out, especially geographically? Absolutely. And I'm from Florida. I was at a firm a couple of weeks ago. They never one day worked from home, not even one day through the entire pandemic, not even one day. How big is the firm? Curious. Uh, 25, 28, okay. something okay. like that. I was shocked. It was the first one that I heard had never worked from home. I heard plenty of people who worked from home for a week or two weeks or three weeks, but the first one I've heard, they literally never went home. And, you know, compare that to California, there are people who weren't in their offices for a year. So I think that that you're right. It is a little bit all over the map, but I do think that there are some firms that have recognized that something that they never, ever thought would be possible was possible. And some of them in a really healthy way are trying to figure out how to make that what their strategic hybrid workplace looks like. And others are reverting back to let's get them all back in the office again. And that's actually one of the things that I'm probably most surprised about in August of 2021 is the number of firms who are saying we're going to bring everybody back that, you know, a lot of them were bringing everyone back after Labor Day. That was the 
the, the kind of line drawn in the sand and the thing that I heard most often. Many, many people have gone back on that outside of Florida, of course, but have gone back on that just because of the the latest with the pandemic. But um, I, it's really been surprising to me how many want to go back. It has also been really interesting as I was talking to an HR director at a firm in St. Louis the other day, and they did the, we're all coming back into the office and they have so far lost four quality people who found jobs in other places where they were going to give them the flexibility to work from home part or full time. And I think we're going to see a lot of that when the mandates to come back to the office start coming, coming back in. So this next question is actually a, a little bit of a repeat for what you just talked about, but 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 and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it in a different way because the way the original question was phrased was, has the infrastructure for remote work largely been put in place at this point, or is there still a lot to be done? Um, I'm gonna based on your last answer, I'm gonna say. Um, sounds to me like there's a lot of firms out there who don't even plan on putting a remote, I mean, an infrastructure for remote work. I, I, it feels like to me that, that, that the last year and a half was a great experiment to try that out and to see what's working and what works and what doesn't. But based on what you're telling me, there's a lot of firms who are, who aren't even going to make that an option for anybody, whether it's hybrid or anything. It's just remote work is not a possibility. Yeah. And I think that is very geographic. I really think in in the South, in the, you know, Florida, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, I think that's really true. There's a lot of firms who are just going to go back to the way that they did it before, maybe occasional work from home. But I think, you know, part of what I, I think is important about that question is there are some firms who have figured out this concept of remote access. You're somewhere else you need to access here. There are other firms who have really taken that to a different level, this whole access from anywhere. It's not just a, you can have remote access into our systems. It's how do we put get our systems into a place where it's not just the old remote desktop. I have a desktop here, I have a desktop there. Everything is confusing where they've really invested in their technology. So it isn't a Band-Aid temporary solution. It's actually something that they have thought out in a way that allows them to give people the flexibility where it's not a different user experience when I work from home than it is when I'm in the office. And I think that was you know, the first thing that we experienced in March or April, May, when people were trying to figure it out. It was like, they're a Band-Aid. How do we just get them so they can access the stuff that they need? Some firms really have taken that next step and said, it can't just be about this clunky way to access it. It has to be that your experience is the same at home as it is at work. And that's really my personal opinion. The only way that a firm is going to be successful at hybrid is if their experience is the same. So I want to I want to take a look at some of the priorities out there these days and and what they were at the beginning of you know a year and a half ago and and now and I sort of see this uh, all these tensions uh, starting to happen. So if you talk to employees, they're really interested in flexibility. Uh, a lot of firms are talking, as you said, are talking about 
get your butt back in the office and and more micromanagement. You got courts and judges wanting to see serious changes in the way things that are done and uh, litigators especially rubbing their hands to go back to normal and just suing people and, and, and running up the hours. And, and clients want a lot of changes and don't understand like why you have to go back to doing things the old way. So what's your sense now that if you kind of looked across the firms that you talked to, uh, where the managing partners are getting together, how are they setting priorities today and what are some of those priorities that, that you're seeing? So I think that there are some uh, client-focused priorities that I think are steps in the right direction about how we interacted with our clients, how we delivered the services that we would have normally delivered when they were sitting across a conference table from us. I think there are some priorities there about making sure that the client experience, that the relationship and the connection that lawyers had with their clients when they were in person is replicated as best as it can be in the world that we're in right now. I think that is definitely something that I, it's been impressive to see that the amount of focus that has gone on that. But I do think that the, there is a priority of survival that was kind of the overarching priority, right? That the uncertainty and still to some degree, some uncertainty now for depending on your practice area, some firms have done really, really well in the last 18 months, really well. And some firms have not done really well. And, and you know, lights at the end of the tunnel could be still be a train kind of thing. There still are some firms who are really just prioritizing staying alive and surviving to the other side of this. I think that the other priority that maybe is kind of the, it's on the list priority, but it maybe hasn't happened fully yet, is what does the next investment in technology look like? You know, um, we, we saw lawyers learn how to do things that they never would have learned how to do had it not been for COVID, whether it's learning how to compare documents or how to PDF something or how to redact something, you know, we saw them learn things. And I think that there are questions circulating, like what is next? If we were able to do something that was, we never would have believed we could do, what will we be able to do next? And how do we think about that from the standpoint of prioritizing, almost leapfrogging past where we were when we were all in the office and then kind of taking those new skills we learned and looking at what's next is, is I think a big priority on the horizon for firms. So speaking of new skills and going back to the last question that I asked you when you said that the goal, one of the goals of remote work is to make the experience the same um, as if you're in the office, how do you view the move to the cloud? Do you find, and, and, and I will just say at the outset, I've been somewhat surprised at Dennis telling me that, that the results of our, the annual Law Technology Center, Resource Center survey um, doesn't seem to indicate the move to the cloud the way that we would have expected over the last year. What are you seeing in, in the real world? Is that a change that people are making? Because I would imagine that would be something about, that would be a part of making the experience as similar as possible, as, uh, the same as, as, an, as a work and in the office experience? Yeah, I think that most people recognize that that is the future. But 
figuring out how to get there is the challenge. You know, we have these amazing SaaS products out there that are, you know, Clio, Centerbase, Zola, Cosmolex. They're great products, but it doesn't solve the whole problem. And many firms go into buying a program like that and thinking that is the answer. But there's like, what about your documents? And even if your matter management, your billing and your accounting and your documents could get you 75 or 80% of the way there, there's still that 20% that's a question mark for people. And I think that that is what takes, uh, some lawyers maybe think about this or people running law firms think about this as a simple solution. We just need to move from this on-prem product to this SaaS product but they don't think about all of these utility products that they're using, these practice area specific products that are still server-based. It's hard to get away from that local infrastructure completely without a complete like forklift hosted infrastructure move everything to the cloud. And even when they figure out all of that, you then throw on who's gonna manage your local computers because you think about the traditional managed services provider business, those companies make money off of managing servers and they don't make any money and the biggest pains in their rear ends is managing workstations. You take the servers out of a law firm and you say, hi, managed services company, would you like to come and help these 30 legal professionals use their printers and their scanners and blue screens of death and their monitor won't connect and their, their what all of those Hi, I can't get my computer to do whatever. Nobody wants that work. So it's a real struggle to get a firm who is in this position where everything is, is on-prem or maybe they use a couple of cloud, cloud products and they're ready to go fully into the cloud. We start to talk to them about what that looks like. It's just not as simple as it seems. You, what you describe is a lot because the legal tech market is so fragmented and that there are so many point solutions that don't fit together, that don't talk to each other. And that's a large part of the problem you're discussing, you're describing, I think. Absolutely. It's a, it's a large part of it. And so many of the products out there are trying to be that or trying to get to the place where they can be that, you know, be everything to everyone. But it still doesn't solve the problem. The device that I'm using has to be managed and who's going to manage it. So I think that it just... We're getting there. And um, I can't tell you the last time I spoke to someone who said, can you take a look at this proposal I have to add three new servers in my office? And I used to do that all the time. I haven't, that hasn't happened in a long time. So I do think that we're getting there. I just think it's a little harder than what it may seem to be. I just want to dig into the collateral a little bit because, you know, I've, I've looked at the stats from the last year's ABA uh, survey on uh, on cloud technology, and I, I was actually not just surprised, I was shocked by the, the lack of lack of, of movement there. In, in my role at, uh, as, a, as now a law professor, I, I see students who've lived in the cloud almost their whole lives, and, and they're really used to working in, in those ways. And so they, they really feel like they're taking steps backward when they go to, to work at law firms. Uh, so there's a whole bunch, and courts are, I think, see the cloud as something that they, they need to look at in very fundamental ways. So I think there's a lot of pressure. So I two parts to this question. So one is, I initially thought that 
not probably more than remote work even that uh, billing, invoicing, and payments would drive firms to the cloud, especially after I heard people talking about sending their secretaries in to pick up checks, uh, you know, in the office uh, uh, in the early days of the pandemic. And I also thought the practice management tools would happen there. So I, I don't know whether that's a traditional path or what's the traditional path in. And then in our podcast, Tom and I, I would say, Maybe at least a, a fourth or more of the the uh, episodes we've done have been about kind of moving beyond the cloud to creator economy, tools that can create products, ways to generate revenue in different ways, and a lot of new things that are out there. So sort of what is the initial path in that people are using the cloud, and are they moving to things like productization and other ways to to generate revenue uh, through some of the newer cloud approaches you see in other professions? You know, Dennis, your point is really interesting, and I wish I would have really thought through this and gotten some actual stats, but I'll give you my gut feel. We are a technology company, and we only work with law firms, and we probably send out 500 invoices a month, and I bet we get 400 checks in the mail a month, and I bet 25 of them are written with a pen. And these are firms that are willing, you know, we're not the least expensive consulting firm out there. These are firms that are willing to invest in technology. And yet still, they have the ability to pay online. Some do, but a large percentage of our clients still put a check in the mail. In fact, sometimes, at least once or twice a month, the FedEx guy shows up. And there's a check in the overnight FedEx envelope for $87.50 or $493.25. I'm not sure that that's, it's interesting to me that that to you was something that would be a driving force there. Well, remember that I worked for, you know, many years at at MasterCard. So, uh, you know, and, and I also felt... I see when I talk to my students about entrepreneurial lawyering and some of some of those things, I look at payments and using card payments as a solution to the cash flow issues that a lot of firms have. And there are definitely firms having cash flow issues at, you know, in March of 2020 and, and th- throughout the year. And using and so that's where I really saw all these things start to come together and I, I think uh, we were talking before the podcast about uh, you know some of the consolidation we see in the legal tech world does seem to be driven by uh, the payment side of things online payments I will say from a billing perspective that even though some firms figured out ways to still print their pre-bills, get them delivered, however, courier or whatever to lawyers' houses so they could pull pens out and write on them and send them back for the edits to be made. Some firms did that, but I will say that that probably the pre-bill process, the pre-bill review, edits, and sending out bills electronically, that probably was revolutionary. And people were surprised that they were able to get from everything being paper to electronic in such a short period of time. I think that definitely was a change that we saw. All right. We're down to the two, we're down to the last two questions, Dennis. We're running out of time in this segment. So ask your last question and then I'll ask mine. Okay. Well, I want to, I'm going to do a two for as you knew I would, Tom, but the, uh, I do want to just 
bug Debbie to talk about if there was anything truly new and innovative she was seeing. And the other thing that I think has uh, become a big concern for the whole world and not just law firms is is law is cybersecurity and especially uh, law firms is the weak link in cybersecurity. So maybe if you talk just briefly about innovation and then maybe dig into what you're seeing uh, law firms do on cybersecurity. Yeah. So innovation, I think that's something that I have noticed, especially in the last maybe year or so, that is a trend is this concept of relationship-based support dying. You know, I hadn't really thought about it this way before I started working with a few firms who were thinking about changing their support model. And we have this crisis of succession planning in law firms, baby boomers, you know, 50-something percent of lawyers are over 55. I mean, this is a really big challenge for law firms. But the challenge that's not spoken about as often is the support staff aging out and retiring. And the legal secretary that you had, that you worked one-on-one with, or the legal assistant, they don't make them like that anymore. It's not, the job isn't the same as it was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. And so this concept of pod-based support, right? We have a document production team. So when you need something, you email this one email address or you have a workflow tool where you submit your work request and the person who is most qualified to do it is the one who does it. And you aren't, I think about it like the HP all-in-one printer. You know, if you're a, a support person and you're expected to print and scan and copy and what's the other thing? Print, scan, copy, fax. If facts, <laughs> if you're expected to do all of those things and you're constantly task switching, you're nowhere near as efficient as if you're just the printing person. And so I, that is something that I think is innovative from a technology perspective, because it gives people the ability to take advantage of some of these tools like Big Hand Now. And we've, we're talking to several firms who are looking at implementing ServiceNow for those kinds of requests. It's really that I think there is a real opportunity for innovation there and thinking differently about how get, how work gets done. On the cybersecurity thing, you know, I am still shocked. There's the people that it's happened to, and those people are are aware and maybe more concerned. And there's the people that it hasn't happened to, and I still think there is a ten feet tall and bulletproof. It hasn't happened to me. I have this this unwavering trust in my IT person that it isn't going to happen. Um, You know, I never, literally never hear firms talking about cybersecurity testing and maybe a little bit about training, but not the, the testing that I think is so important with all the scams that are out there. I think we're gonna see more scary, scary stories from law firms around data breaches and things like that before it gets any better. All right, so let's close it out. I started with a broad question. I'm going to end kind of with a broad question, which is what do you what is your best advice for law firms on on what to do next? Now that we're sort of almost getting there to pull out of the pandemic but not quite, um what do you think law firms should be focusing on now? You know, I I think that they need to start paying attention to the future, and I know we've all said that for a really long time, but things are changing rapidly. And some of the experiments that are going on around legal services being provided by non-lawyers, the access to justice issues that are driving some of that, the non-lawyer ownership of law firms. You know, sometimes I feel bad saying this in a room of lawyers, but 
when the business people start running the law firms, you better watch out. When the business people have a vested interest and stake in the profitability of the firm and how the work gets done, there are going to be things that change. I think that the competition, the competitive landscape of legal is absolutely changing. And if law firms don't start thinking before they're forced to, because right now they're still not being forced to, there are plenty of people who are willing to do business the old way. But if they don't start thinking before they have to about the way they deliver legal services and how they're gonna create a sustainable, profitable practice in the future, they're gonna be left behind. And I know there's, there's a little like boy who cried wolf in that because we have been saying that, like the billable hour is dead, change how you get your work done or you're gonna get left behind. But this is the time for people to start educating themselves on what is happening in the legal market and what is changing and where the opportunities that they have to stay in that competitive place and build a firm that is ready for the future. Well, and with that, Debbie Foster, thank you so much. We're not done yet, but thank you so much. We always look forward to uh, to talking with you about the state of legal tech and how law firms are using it. Uh, we still have a lot more to talk about, but before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local, pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy with our special guest, Debbie Foster of Affinity Consulting, who will stay with us for the next two segments. And it's time for our new segment we call Hot or Not. We pick something people are talking about and argue whether we think it is hot or not. We might agree, but odds are that we won't. So let's get started. We're seeing an uptick of interest in the legal world in the use of Salesforce.com. So let's have Debbie lead us off. Salesforce, what is it? And is it hot or not? Uh, I'm going to go hot, hot, hot. You know, you all, we, you guys know we just announced a partnership with a Salesforce-based platform called Litify. It's a product and a couple of other products that we've been watching for the last probably five or so years. And we've considered multiple times during that time frame, kind of jumping into the Salesforce game. And we never did it. But now we are what 
these companies have been able to do, and I, you know, I can't speak for all of them. I've spent a lot of time learning about Salesforce and what Litify has done, but this platform born in the cloud, nearly unlimited power, that true access from anywhere, the, you know, Tom, what you talked about before, point solutions, being able to take this platform with this overlay um, that is, I mean, I've, I've watched some of these demos and I'm thinking, this is practically magic. Now, magic is expensive. So there is that barrier from a Salesforce perspective. It's not the least expensive product out there on the market. But they, you know, these companies have been able to put these wrappers around Salesforce for matter management and billing and accounting. But then adding on to that, some of the utility software, their HR platforms, employee recognition um, platforms. But the thing that I think I'm the most jazzed about when it comes to bringing everything under one umbrella is the thing that law firms have needed forever and have never been able to figure out. And that is a true CRM. A matter management tool is not a client relationship management tool. People use it as that, but it's just not. And the power behind Salesforce for CRM, I think is gonna give law firms an opportunity to understand and utilize marketing tools like they have never been able to do before. And they're going to need to do that with this ever-changing legal technology landscape. So I am all in hot, hot, hot. All right, so for a competing view, and I'm speaking in the context of having worked in or about the corporate world for the past 12 years, I would say that Salesforce is yawningly not hot. And that is to say the corporate world welcomes the legal industry to Salesforce. Uh, I mean, the product was created in 1999. And so I guess 22 years for legal to start using it is on point for the legal industry. Um, it feels like 22 years would make a lot of sense. I think Salesforce is a terrific platform. The, the CRM, I think, is amazing. I have two concerns. And one is, you know, I'm going to take an opposite, uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take an opposite position against what I said earlier about point solutions, which is, I worry about Salesforce becoming jack of all trades and master of none. They are great at CRM, but now they have modules for sales, for customer support, for marketing, for e-commerce, to develop low-code applications, to do employee experience, a learning platform. They just announced their own streaming video service, which I don't even know what that means. Uh, to, that didn't even make sense to me. You know, they bought Slack last year, which to me, for Slack was probably a good thing because Slack was getting eaten alive by teams. And I think Salesforce gives Slack a built-in customer base to use. So that's a good thing. I worry, I worry that they, I, on the one hand, Debbie could be right. It could be magic because they all work together and they're good at all of these things. And this is the right umbrella to have it under. But on the other hand, they could do some things that are just aren't as good as, as some other point solution. That brings us back to original problem. I don't have an answer for that. So here's my other concern. And this is purely from my personal standpoint. Salesforce is an information governance nightmare. And the reason is, is because guess what? You know, if I am my CRM playing, if I have a Word document that I want to upload about a, a client, I can do it. If there's a PDF file or an email and I want to attach that client, I can do it. I can load all sorts of documents into Salesforce that make it amazingly useful, 
but it's a discovery nightmare. If, if, if there is legal stuff about that client, guess what? You got to go into Salesforce and pull all that stuff out because it's all relevant information. Um, I mean, that's the problem with all structured systems and systems that allow you to upload uh, files and documents. But and, and that's just my personal little issue around Salesforce. Otherwise, you know, I think it's a great tool. All our clients who use it, they love it. They use it. They're all in on it. I think that uh, legal industry, I agree, it's hot. But I'm just yeah, so what? I've heard about it forever. <laughs> Dennis, bring us back to hot. Okay, so Debbie said hot, hot, hot. You said yawningly not hot. I'm going to give it a qualified double hot. And the qualification comes because it really does make sense when you have large corporate clients, especially global clients. And and so, but I think that's where it becomes truly interesting because if your if your legal applications are writing on Salesforce and Salesforce lets you create apps, then your you as a law firm are catering to how your client works. You're working with the systems they already have, and you're showing a willingness to go the extra mile to work with your clients before they have to force you into those systems, which they may do because your custom approach. Your unusual approach actually just makes it harder for the whole corporate uh, internal systems to work. And there comes a point where it's easy just, easier to just get rid of you and work with people who use that. So I'm really intrigued by this. Every, every legal tech uh, vendor that I've talked to uh, or given advice, I always ask the question, I ask them about APIs and I ask them, are, do they have a, a Salesforce app on their roadmap? And if they answer yes to both of those, I'm I'm re- really ready to listen to what they have to say. If they're saying no, I'm, I have my doubts about uh, the future of, of what they're doing. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I have been a fan lately of the website and new, specifically newsletter called techiwant.com. And I'm introducing this as an example, but you can use the newsletter if you want to, but I want to point out that if you really want to figure out kind of the future of consumer technology, what's cool and what's hot, you really should be spending time on Kickstarter or Indiegogo and seeing what people are doing to try and bring new things out. And techiwant.com each week brings you a newsletter of some of the hottest new, brand new, innovative tech tools that people are trying to bring to market on Kickstarter. And it's a great way to see kind of what people are thinking about. You may never want to do any of these products. They may be totally crazy for you. I am right now a backer of two different products. One is a set of um, of earphones that actually are bone conduction ear, ear things that just look amazing. They also have a hearing aid mode on it, too, for those, for those people who have hearing problems. I will let you know that's not coming out for a couple of months. And I'm backing a company called Gravel, which I already have one their toiletry kits for travel. Best toiletry kit that I've ever used in my life, and they're coming out with a new one. I really like using this as a place to discover new people, new vendors, smaller ones that you wouldn't ordinarily know about. And techiwant.com is a good way to do it. Debbie. So I have started about a month ago using uh, a web add-on app called, it's called Motion. The website is usemotion.com. And I am literally in love with this product. So it does a bunch of things. I'm going to tell you about the two things that have 
completely revolutionized my life. The first one is my calendar is available from my browser with just a little hover. It immediately pops up. I can see my calendar. I can see other people's calendars. I can schedule a meeting without opening up my Outlook calendar. It is amazing. But the other thing that is the coolest is there's a scheduling tool. So if I pick a day or a range of days that I want to give someone availability for meetings, it automatically, based on the rules that I set, says, would any of these times work for you? And it gives the day and the time and the the time blocks that would work for me. And it can include hyperlinks there so they can actually go to a special bookings page. If those times don't work, they can click on a bookings link. I can set my preferred time blocks. And when they go to my bookings link, it says two o'clock is preferred, 2.30 is preferred, three o'clock is preferred, but the other times on the day do not show as preferred. So it helps you take advantage of time blocking. So your meetings are scattered all over your calendar. And it does some other really cool things with tabs uh, in your browser that I, I haven't used as much, but the calendar features have just been amazing for me. It's usemotion.com. So I, up here in Michigan, we had some big storms and uh, big power outages. So uh, I had we had three days without power. Um, and you can never draw too many lessons from that. And I sort of feel you go back to the, uh, a version of Maslow's uh, pyramid or higher hierarchy of, of technology needs. But when you don't have electricity, your fundamental uh, – technology need be, it becomes electricity and power, uh, then internet, and, and then you kind of move up the pyramid fr from that. Um, so I found myself in the being a, an electrical, a working electrical outlook vampire. I actually uh, went from Ann Arbor to Michigan State to, to my office just to charge up some things. But it, it just reminded me of the value of, of having uh, chargers around, the portable phone chargers, your uh, uninterrupted power supplies, those sorts of things. Um, I have a number of uh, phone chargers. The key thing is to keep them charged up or, or to charge them if you know a storm is coming. But, and so you can never have too many of them. So anytime you can grab one, uh, get one. But I'm also thinking about uh, going to uh, a more dedicated uh, backup power source. And so uh, doing a little bit of research, I, I, uh, I'm looking at the Anchor PowerCore Essential 20,000 PD uh, which is $65 as a backup, which is, is a reasonable amount to pay for, for your home. And uh, what impressed me was that it had just a gargantuan numbers of, of reviews on Amazon, which I'm now starting to re rely on the number of reviews as much as I am as of the numerical value of the reviews. So uh, uh, portable phone chargers and U UPS is uh, definitely something to think about as, uh, as we learn to navigate our shaky power grid in this country. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. We want to thank uh, our good friend Debbie Foster for being a guest again. You are welcome anytime. Thanks to all of you for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us all on Twitter or LinkedIn or leave us a voicemail. Um, we still are waiting for that B segment. Please give us a B segment to talk about. Um, that is That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.